Welcome everybody, it's uh, Richard Wilson. Today we're doing a member spotlight video here, one of our members in the Family Office Club. And we have uh, Chris here today from uh, Caliber. And uh, I've known Chris for probably four or five years now, um, spoke at one of his events and has grown enormously. He's about four times larger, I think, than last time I saw him uh, in person in terms of the growth of his firm. So uh, welcome Chris to the interview. Thank you. Happy to be here. This is exciting to see you again. I think uh, last time we were having a cup of coffee, we were talking about growing our businesses. And today, I think we've, we've definitely achieved that. So uh, congratulations to you as well. Great. And um, can you talk a little bit more about Caliber, um, maybe a little bit about the size of your team and organization? Because I think um, we've gotten to a, a stage where it's highly credible. So it'd be good to shine a light on that. And then maybe a one-liner kind of description of what you're up to. Yeah, so from a one-liner standpoint, we, we look at ourselves a little bit like a, a middle market Blackstone. So we're focused on high net worth individuals and the advisors that help them. We help them invest in private real estate funds and build wealth through different forms of real estate. One of those things is that we happen to be one of the largest opportunity zone funds and sponsors in the Southwest region. And we focus on middle market real estate. So buying projects typically that are five to $50 million in size, typically that are hard to acquire or that require some sort of special capabilities, which gives us in our opinion, a much better price and much better deal on the project. And, uh, and then last but not least, we're vertically integrated. So we are a full service platform. We do development, construction, fund management, acquisition, kind of you name it. So soup to nuts, we take uh, responsibility for the projects and that's one of the, one of the things that's helped us be successful, especially as the market continues to change. Great. And um, let's talk about opportunity zones for just a minute. There's a lot of discussion around that at the conferences that, uh, that we're usually hosting. Um, you know, how are investors benefiting from those right now, do you see? You know, I think a lot of talk on opportunity zones goes around the tax consequences and, and sort of, sort of the, the, the nuts and bolts of the program. I like to take a little bit of a step back and talk about the investment. If executed appropriately, according to the program, you can effectively double your return on investment over a 10 year period when you calculate the additional tax benefits. Another way to look at that is if you have a large short or long-term capital gain and you're gonna pay a big tax bill, you can defer paying that tax bill, but the benefit you gain from investing in the program will likely exceed the cost of that original tax bill. So over a period of time, you can eliminate that tax. I see, and um, I just wanna, Clear up when you say that you're from the southwest and mountain west regions. What city are you most active in or based in? And what are the like top three, five cities you're spending your time in? Yeah, so we're headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, obviously, in the greater Phoenix metro area is our most active area. Focus right now on Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Nevada, Utah, and Idaho. And we, we consider this, we call it sort of the greater southwest growth market. So these are markets that have long-term trends of population growth, long-term trends of job growth. They happen to actually perform, be performing quite well during the current period of time that we're in. And there's just a lot of resiliency in these markets. And since we're investing, especially in the Opportunity Zone program for 10 years or more, we need to be investing in a place that's not relying on any one specific factor. Right, okay. So I know there's hundreds and hundreds of funds launched you know, every year. And I know one thing that's unique is you guys are a bit vertically integrated. You take responsibility for the project. You're not just investing in something and walking away and having the property manager, you know, renovate and manage the whole thing. I know that you guys are strong in opportunity funds. I know from our past discussions, you have uh, sometimes a couple different types of opportunities available to investors. All those things 
sound unique compared to the average independent sponsor type group or real estate investment firm. But what else, what else makes your firm unique that's been part of your momentum? Because you've had great momentum compared to your competitors. Yeah, I try to explain things in a way that, that would resonate with me if I'm sitting in the investor's chair. So at the end of the day, there's about 400 funds in the country um, that are open for business in some way, shape or form. Um, Caliber is one of those. And the way that we fit in the market is that the majority of those, at least 300, are single asset funds run by relatively small developers that may be amazing real estate entrepreneurs and really good at what they do in terms of that one specific project, but they're not set up with an institutional infrastructure. So managing the tax consequences of the investment over a 10-year period of time, managing proper cash allocations and ratios and all those types of things are really important in this program. And most investors can't see that far into the program to see how important that really is. On the flip side, there's a handful of large institutional investors that are doing funds in the one plus billion dollar range. Ours is about a $500 million fund. And they're great. They have all the infrastructure, all the reporting, all the, um, all the financial management you could ever need, uh, but they don't have access to the deals because most of these investments are these $25 million deals, not these $250 million deals. And so, they don't have that entrepreneurial deal platform. So Caliber is a, is a special, special business because not only do we have the institutional infrastructure, but we also have the entrepreneurial deal platform. And we combine that into a mixed fund, meaning when an investor makes an investment, unlike most funds, they're trying to pick one sponsor and one deal and hope it works out over a decade or longer. In mm -hmm. our fund, they are picking one sponsor, but they're gonna be diversified across many deals and we have the ability to sell and reinvest and compound their return. The most important tax benefit in opportunity zones is the fact that after a 10 year period, if I've grown the value of the investment, the investor pays no taxes on the growth. So if I can compound the returns, I can grow that value significantly more than if I'm making one bet at a time. Right, right, right. okay. And what's the, I know you might have multiple offerings, but if it's a non-opportunity zone type investment, what's the investor holding period where they'll be in the fund waiting to, to see what that return will be? Yeah, so we have offerings that range from a year to five years on that side of the equation. And then of course mm -hmm. the opportunity zone program being a 10 year program is the minimum. Right, okay. And what about during the, the virus crisis here? You know, someone might be watching this once it's passed, but for those that are watching this kind of a near term, uh, what are you doing to adjust your strategy right now? So uh, Calibre was founded by myself and, 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 and several other entrepreneurs who built this business in late 2008. So we actually didn't know what a normal real estate market was. We only knew what a distressed market was at the, at the outset. So right. we've sort of activated an infrastructure that's been somewhat dormant in our business just to prepare, just in case uh, we see this continue to degrade because there's definitely a possibility that you could see the bond markets start to crash in terms of real estate mortgages. There's a possibility you could start to see a spike in foreclosures. And so it, what we've essentially done is we've been in due diligence or in purchase contracts on at least $500 million worth of property. We walked from all of that about a month ago. Um, great projects. And if this thing clears up in a couple months, we'll be back to them. But uh, in the meantime, we're now reaching out to the entire brokerage community all the special servicers, all the lenders, all the bankruptcy attorneys to let them know, hey, we know how to buy distressed real estate. We know how to do loan workouts. We're here. We're capitalized. We're bringing in capital every day. And so, you know, I think what, what will be different this time around than what most investors understand from 2008 was 
after that financial crisis, we had years to try to sort of sort our way through it. This time around, the banks and everybody, all the players in the market have built a significant amount of infrastructure to be prepared for another sort of foreclosure crisis. And so it will happen a lot faster. The assets and the deals will go to a much smaller group of people. You have to be invested in the market and in to, you know, sort of pick your pony, be in at least one fund that can take advantage of that type of market in the future. Right. I know Ray Dalio recently said that uh, cash is trash if you don't put it to use because it's just yeah. going to be in inflation from printing all this money, right? Totally. And, and it's the time to be investing in something, right? Like what, whatever is the right risk-appropriate investment for someone or probably multiple right. investments. You aside know, from gold, be allocated. you know, real estate has done really well aside from gold in terms of uh, beating inflation. Right, right. And you talked a little bit about middle market real estate. I don't know if you want to comment on anything else related to that, but if I understand it, you're focused on above where the mom and pops and little startup sponsors would be the casual investor who's maybe in a cubicle most of their life uh, investing on the side, but you're below where the heavy hitter institutions, the multi-billion dollar funds are coming up. They would see it as a waste of time to acquire a, a 25 or $75 million asset. Is there anything else you want to add to that and make it really clear? Yeah. I just want to bring your investor into my chair. So in that scenario and both those, I call that the entrepreneurial and the institutional market. In both of those cases, if I go to buy a project in that market, in a normal market, there's probably 20, 30 bidders, the pricing is hyper efficient, and it's going to trade for a number that's in a pretty short band. In the middle market, there's a lot less players because it's complicated, but it's also smaller than the institutional side. And so in that case, I might be bidding against five other buyers, three of them may not have the funds to close at that moment in time. And so right. we have a lot less competition. And that's how we derive a better price and a better return, even in a normal market. Right, right. Okay. Are you then bundling up a few of these assets upon the sale and selling a portfolio to arbitrage that just like an operating business would with EBITDA getting up to the private equity levels? Is that exactly? Yeah. The okay. more that we can kind of groom the portfolio and build it out so that the institutional buyer can then buy it in an easier transaction, the, the better price we get. Right. Okay. And then you mentioned some regions earlier, you know, uh, Idaho, Colorado, mm -hmm. Arizona, you know, obviously Phoenix, Scottsdale and Denver, Denver especially has seen, you know, a lot of movement there. There's more jobs created in Phoenix than almost anywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, Denver's also had great job growth, especially for millennial and tech related jobs in the whole state of Colorado. Um, besides those two exceptions, most of the regions you talked about are, are not super overheated, classic type, you know, coast-based coast locations. You also happen to be based in, in Scottsdale, so that makes it easier to, to get deals done locally. But yeah. what else is going into your selection of those regions that you could also clarify a bit more when people are wondering why you don't go into the Carolinas or don't go into Nashville or areas like that? Yeah, so you have to be able to project influence to do what I do well. Um, and one of the ways that we do that, for instance, is we have a full-time gentleman on staff who works with all of the polit politicians. So I'm talking state, city council, governors, state legislators, et cetera. So okay. there's only so much we can cover as a business and that we can afford to cover. Because right. at the level that we were, we want to be first at the table. We want to be able to execute on our developments quickly. And in our region, we do happen to have some of the best um, and fastest growing states in the country. I mean, Boise, Idaho is the fastest growing city as of last year in the country. 
Now, that's because it's relatively small and they've, they've grown a lot, but so on a percentage growth, it's been, been pretty fast, but we're building, uh, looks like, looks to be a, a, a medical office facility there. And um, I'd like to own one of those in Boise, Idaho. Same thing in Austin, Texas or San Antonio or places like that. So they're, they're still amazing cities to invest in, harder to access for an institution because they can't really afford to open an office there and build right. local knowledge. Um, but anything within a two-hour direct flight from us that avoids fighting and as you as you mentioned the coastal markets is a good good option for caliber sure and when you talk about uh your value add process obviously being vertically integrated focusing on these regions having the capability to do workouts and be able to perform in a uh, a struggling you know economy potentially which might be coming upon us right now mm-hmm. um you know obviously that's part of your those are parts of your value add process the regions the lobbying um Etc. What what else goes into it in terms of your value add process? That's part of like a go to kind of step by step plan that works for you. Yeah. So it's sort of the same thing as how how do, how is the sausage made? How do you get to the point where you generate an outsized return on a piece of real estate? Well, one of those things is the development side. So your development is imagination. It's what could this asset be? How can we transform it? How can we build it? How can we get it through the city? All of those types of things. Well, we have a development company in house. But that doesn't mean we're driven by our egos that every single development we have to run. Oftentimes, we'll have an entrepreneur who's been working on a deal for five, 10 years trying to get something approved by the city. They finally do. They can finally stand it up or they can finally go through the renovation or whatever the plan is, but they don't have the financial wherewithal to do that. So we step in. We act as the lead general partner. We sponsor the debt. They, they come in as a junior partner and they, they report up into our development company. So they're not just... We're not just relying on their word to execute on the development. They're, they're now being overseen by an experienced group. And so it's kind of understanding the nuance between, yes, we're a licensed general contractor, but more often than not, we're going to be a construction manager with our GC overseeing another GC who has better execution ability in that specific asset or that specific market. Okay. Okay. And um, I know we just have another three or four minutes here, so I just have two quick questions. What's the number one best due diligence question that an investor should be asking a firm like yours, whether or not they're ever asking that question? What's the best question? Best question by far, how did you build a culture in your business designed to deliver me a return? Um, Hmm. I think we often forget in this age of technology, automation, AI, kind of that kind of stuff, that the real estate private equity business by and large is still a people-driven business. And at the end of the day, the way that you get a return as a client is that the people you hired show up every day and make good decisions. And many of those decisions will be completely opaque to you as an investor because whether they did you know, the right thing for that asset that day or not is really impossible for you to know. And so right. understanding how the, that business built a culture designed to deliver results and with, you know, sort of financial incentives like at Caliber, everybody at the company is a shareholder. Everybody at the company gets profit based on the assets profiting themselves. Our fee mm-hmm. income covers, a, you know, our overhead, but it doesn't cover a profit for the company. The profit comes from the profitability of the projects. And so all of those types of things that create alignment between the people that are working for you as an investor and what you're looking to achieve are the things that really, truly matter. Every good company has an audit. Every good company right. has all those basic infrastructure things, but those things are just going to tell you years down the road, did you make a good decision or not? They're not going to tell you in the moment, do you have a team that's working hard on your behalf and making good decisions for you? 
Right, right. Great. Yeah, I never heard anyone answer the question quite like that. So appreciate that. And the last question here, the uh, $100,000 piece of advice you could leave us with related to commercial real estate or investing, you know, in a group like yours, it could be for someone in the real estate space or an investor. I would say that for 100,000 bucks, it's pretty easy in the opportunity zone space. Take that, divide it by 25% and say, if you've had a capital gain in excess of $400,000, I can save you $100,000 by investing in, in the program. At the, right. you know, I, I, I went on a road show a couple of weeks before the, the pandemic hit pretty hard. I spoke to 100, 150 sophisticated, amazing investors like the head of Wedbush for Europe and such. And I would say about two thirds of the room, most of, mostly professional investors, financial advisors, the folks that advise you know, high net worth individuals on a regular basis, they didn't even know what the program was, let alone the fact that they could take gains from the recent sale of stock that they all harvested at the end of last year and put those gains into real estate and save on taxes. And so right. if you're a high net worth individual looking at this, if you're a family office and you're still kind of scratching your head as to why nobody's recommending this to you. It's, it's not surprising to me. I talk to CPAs and financial advisors all the time that are still not quite sure how to even talk to their clients about this program. Which is kind of amazing that that's the case. It's like someone yeah. not knowing what a family office is. It kind of blows yeah. your mind when you remember there's people like that out there and then you realize there's millions of people out there like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. Great. Well, uh, where's the best place to get a hold of you, Chris, and to connect with Caliber? Very easy. You just go to our website. It's caliberco.com. It's C-A-L-I-B-E-R-C-O.com. And I'm easy. I'm Chris at caliberco.com. Not hard to find me. Great. Awesome. I appreciate your time here today. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll see you involved in the, uh, the Investor Club here going forward. And uh, congrats on all the growth. Thank you.